The best place to play fantasy football this summer is Underdog Fantasy. Their best ball mania tournament has $10 million in total prize money, and the best part is you just draft your fantasy team and that's it. There's no waivers, no trades, no in-season management. Underdog gives you your best score each week of the season, and the highest scores at the end of the year win. Plus, Underdog is going to double your first deposit up to $100 when you sign up with promo code PFF. Also, you play 10 of those dollars using promo code PFF, and you get a free PFF subscription. So what are you waiting for? Head to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store, play $10 with code PFF, and draft your best ball mania team today. Hello all, welcome to the Wednesday afternoon edition of Unexpected Points. I am joined once again by Josh Hermsmeyer. As I mentioned last time, this is what the people want, and I giveth what the people wanteth. Josh, thank you for joining me. Uh-oh, Josh, I don't hear you on here. We got it, we got another issue. We're not issued. Here we go. I'm just glad. I'm glad that people want to see my see my face, hear my voice, and see my big headphones. This is great. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, the 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 voice is important component, though. As much as we enjoy the headphones and the face, and as I mentioned, you know the 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 flowing coiffed hair, the beard. You got it all. You got it all going on here. Even a little formal, a little, but you know, one extra button down here on the shirt, which helps. So it's like a formal slash casual. We we enjoy all of that now. I was going to start the show before we get to our bold predictions, and I'll explain the details behind what what we mean by bold predictions. Because sometimes you go onto a bold prediction show or podcast or list, and it's things that are basically lottery type of shots for what's going to happen. And that kind of defeats the purpose of saying something is a prediction if you're saying that it has a... 10% chance of happening instead of a 5% chance of happening. So we're going to try to get closer to something that's more like a 50-50 shot, but skewed a little bit in, in the direction of being of being unlikely. But we're recognizing that as part of the bold predictions. But first, I want to start with Hard Knocks last night. Uh, I will not say that I watched the whole episode. I'd be surprised if anyone actually watches the whole episode. I get on the old HBO Max, and I'm scrolling through. I'm scrolling through a lot, but... There were some classic Dan Campbell scenes in here. Josh, have you, did you watch any of it? Number one, if not, did you see the discourse on, on the Twitter bot about what was going on with Dan Campbell and Hard Knocks episode one? No, I haven't really seen anything. Uh, I did see his hat that he gave everyone a grit hat and hopefully that works out better than Jason Garrett's fight shirt. Um, Although the New York Giants and coaches are actually all fighting recently in camp so that that was maybe it's come to fruition a year later but uh no i haven't been paying attention i, I kind of treat hard knocks as the bachelor's just something i don't spend my time uh, waste my time with so okay okay well i mean if we're gonna talk if you want the the dan campbell experience wrapped up in one phrase uh this tell me what you think about this doesn't matter if you have one ass cheek and three toes i will beat your ass so what do I, <laughs> it doesn't matter if you have one ass cheek and three toes. He he will beat your ass, meaning the team. This is when you're describing what grit means. Would that I'm sure if that's in the definition for what for what grit is. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, look, 
So I, I grew up with a lot of very kind of uh, formal, tough male figures, and I'm used to this kind of thing, and I kind of enjoy it. I, I, uh, I, I kind of find it endearing because I know it's mostly bullshit. But like, you know, if you if you take it at face value, all this stuff, I can see how it could wear down on you. Like if you just see this as someone who's really just going to ride your ass for years and years, and and that's how he's going to try and motivate you. Um, I think this is going to wear thin in the NFL. Um, I think this is just something that Dan Campbell is going to have to get lucky and get better personnel and start winning for him to have longevity in the league with this kind of approach. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I agree. And everyone has got a positive spin on seeing it. And I think it's like you said, like people, it's it's entertaining. It's fun to see. Um, I, I'm going to give you a little bit more of a flavor here because I have a video clip that we can we can put up here for – the Dan Campbell speech that was part of the speech, but I will say that he starts off, which is not included as part of this. I'm including once he starts getting into grip, but he starts off talking about, you know, you respect your teammates, you respect, you know, the, the, the game and everything else. I thought that was pretty good. He talked about not worrying too much about the 53 man roster. Don't be counting all the time. You know, some of the guys who were maybe on the bubble, like let's just concentrate on what we're going to do. I thought all that was fine and dandy. He starts to get a little off the rails, as you can tell by that little clip that I, that I put there where <laughs> when he starts talking about grit and other stuff. So let, let, let's go through, let's go through some of this here. And then, you can tell me um, – I'll stop it periodically as we're going through here because I start to lose – I start to lose understanding for exactly what he's talking about maybe halfway through this as the analogies bleed into each other. But he definitely has a good presentation. The words themselves, though, and this will be interesting people listening to it in the podcast format. I'm not sure if it comes through quite quite as well. So let's, let's get some of this going that you can digest here since you missed this speech last time. We'll play anywhere. We'll play on grass. We'll play on turf. We'll go to a fucking landfill. Doesn't matter. Okay, so I'll say first off, I'm gonna skip going to a landfill. If I like, if I, <laughs> the crowd there, I'd like grass, turf, cold weather, freezing cold landfill. I don't know. I probably would need a special contract stipulation before before I'm going there. But that's just me. Maybe I'm not. I'm not built for the Dan Campbell experience. It's very Doesn't Churchill in, in World War II. It's very Churchill in World War II. We'll fight him at the beaches. We'll fight him. Yeah. At the... so I just, I think. But did I think... He think, wait, wait, was he prepared to say landfill or is that just the first thing that popped into his head? I don't know, man. It's like, it's like there's a saying, you know, act like a, be tough like a junkyard dog in the face of a hurricane or something like that. He's just got aphorisms and he's going to just use them. It's all about vibes. Okay. Okay. Let's get more here. This is the uh, ass cheek here. three toes. I will beat your ass. It means that normally I'm 100%, 85%, man. That's all I need to beat you. I don't care. I will produce and win at 85%. You guys already know. You're not going to be 100% until next March. This is the best you're going to feel He's an right intimidating now. figure, though, just looking it's at him, I have to say. the best you're going to feel. The quicker you accept that, man, the better off we're all going to be. All right, now. Okay, this is another one. This is another one. Now, he's got some sort of analogy going on with – teams are like in the water or not and they're trying to get in the water and you're in the shallow water and then you're taking it to the deep water again i'm not sure how much of this is pre-planned versus he's just going for it so let's let's see there's a number of teams as it equates to just bear with me the ocean right there's a number of teams they just barely get to the water you got to get in the water to compete the number of teams that's all they get to then there's a number of teams, they are in the shallows. 
and they come in a hurry, man, and they are all over your ass. They're all over your ass, and they strike and move. They strike and move, and they're dangerous, man. You just got to get a hold of them, though. If you can just get a hold of them, and you start dragging their ass out to the deep, dark abyss, you can drown them. <laughs> the music comes in here. Hey, that that was a dark turn. Now, now, wow. Now, now he's drowning. Now, I mean, I guess. I mean, if we're gonna go with the analogy, I guess you got to go all the way. Although I'm, I still don't know if I quite understand the analogy. Now, let's let's listen to this. Now we got some more stuff. Which, which well, let me let me let me comment. Okay. I mean, this isn't yeah. the worst thing I've heard this week. I mean, in Carolina, they're talking about cannibalism. So this yeah. is at least you're killing the other team here, not your own. Team, yeah, so. yeah, that, that's good. Yeah, but I like. Okay, so now, now, now you're dragging them into the deep dark depths, and basically we're talking about murder here. Okay, let's let's go on. And that's what we got to be. That's who we have to be, because that's our domain. That is our domain. Because we'll tread water as long as it takes to fucking bury you. That's a great line. I don't know what it means, though. Like, you're burying them in the water, but it's it's like he just pulls together these things. It's very quotable, but no one has any idea what he's actually saying when you when you when you think about it in retrospect. Um, yeah, no, it's 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 vibes. It's it's he's up there. He's animated. They're not listening to the words. It's OK, this vibes. is a, wait, there's some more there's some more good goodness here and then we'll wrap this up. We'll go as long as it takes because we can and we choose to. That's who we are. That's who we have to be. Now, it goes without saying. The teams that are dangerous in the shallows and the abyss are probably the top four or five in this league. That's who they are. And that's what we're working to. Yeah, he looked, gonna... That guy looked confused. <laughs> I was a little good. I, I, I feel him. Sam, keeping this brief. The last thing I'm going to say is this. Okay, this is a good part. There is no light at the end of the tunnel. There is no light. Okay. There is no light. Sorry. There's a song Metallica has, No Leaf Clover, and it says, man, when it comes to the soothing light... At the end of your tunnel, it's just a freight train coming your way. So if you're seeing <laughs> a fucking light, it's a freight train. Just put your head down and go to work. It's about to be fun, man. It's about to be fun. Why is it fun? Why is a freight train coming at you, presumably uh, leading to your death, going to be going to be fun? But anyway, so that was the Dan Campbell experience. Now that you've seen that, do you have any commentary that you'd like to, to add to your, your Dan Campbell take? Uh, yeah, no, I think I just reinforces this word salad. He's, he's, he's all vibes. And, uh, yeah, that wasn't coherent at all. Like, but, but <laughs> you, you know, I mean, but that's fine, right? Like who cares? Yeah, like, yeah, it is fine. I mean, it can work like people respond yeah. to it, but I, I mean, so what I would say is like, I think there are two things. I think there's this feeling that we get, right. And there's an idea of a motivating head coach. You know, when you watch a movie, if you're going to watch a movie about, you know, the, the team that comes up, the the the, the scra scrappy team that comes up to, to knock off the big champion, they're going to have the coach who gives the great halftime speech and everything. So that's what's in our minds as maybe being something that goes to success. I guess what I would say is, do we really have evidence that that works? You know, if we're going to look at the best head coaches, not only now, but of all time, you know, Belichick, maybe uh, Bill Walsh. Um, you know, in, in today's game, Andy Reid, you know, Mike Tomlin has some of those vibes, but I, I think he has a little more coherence to, to, to what he's talking about. And a lot of times he's talking about there, all these different guys. These are not guys that necessarily even seem like raw, raw guys. They're guys who do things that actually translate to wins, which is like preparing the team, being very thoughtful about everything, constructing the roster, all these other things that go along with it. So I guess I would just, 
I just don't think there's any there's any actual evidence that this type of stuff works beyond maybe a very short term gain. Yeah, I guess, you know, I haven't listened to enough head coach talks like this, except from bad teams that are on hard knocks um, to kind of give like a, a, a reasonable opinion on this. But he seems to me to be not not that great at this. Like, uh, I think his 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 energy comes through, but like the actual message he's trying to deliver with kind of a lot of platitudes and, and cliches is just kind of, I think that isn't going to last, right? You can't give that same speech every year. Like it's just, there's just not, not, not enough there for the guys to chew on. So yeah, yeah. Uh, again, I think it's going to get, I think, yeah, I think it's going to get a little bit like there's a scene later on in there where he's talking to all the guys about the fact they're in padded practice. And he's like, I'm doing what I think is best for you guys. And he's kind of almost tearing up. Like he's going to start crying, talk about it. And I'm thinking to myself, dude, we're at like, we're in like day four of training camp here, you know, like it's going, there's going to be some diminishing returns to this sort of thing. I mean, I think it's good that he's a nice guy and all that. That's better than being an asshole sort of thing. But again, I don't know if we even have evidence that being an asshole is bad for being a coach. I think we have a lot of great coaches who are probably kind of dicks too. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think the the problem here is if, if this is kind of capital, you can only spend maybe once or twice, um, I don't know. This is the season to do it. Like he just doesn't have the horses. Uh, I'm Eric eager is one of my favorite people and, and he wants to restore the roar this year. And and I know it's about expectation versus the markets and all that. And, and he has gotten some closing line value. I put all that aside. He still got Jared Goff and a bunch of guys I never heard of at Whiteout. And I just think that like, uh, if you're going to use up all your goodwill with the players and you're going to spend all your kind of coach capital on a season like this, like, I mean, it's just so much beyond his control right now. I mean, he, I, I, I just, I just fear he's not going to last when he actually is given good players. Yeah, yeah. First of all, don't, don't disrespect DJ Chark. And second, um, I will say that yeah, I think the big disconnect with the discourse that we're hearing, the restore the roar uh, faction of of Twitter, is they're talking about it as if, like, if you just thought, thought about it in a vacuum, you might think people think that they're going to make the playoffs, you know, as a realistic sort sort of outcome. But the reality is they're thinking of it as the market has them undervalued. And just the other day I was going through some look ahead lines and some implied uh, power rankings based upon that. And Detroit is somewhere in the 28 to 30 range based upon that. Like the markets are still very, very down on them, despite the fact that you might think the consensus is high on Detroit because there are so many people in the NFL media that seem to be behind them at this right now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm, I know I, I just laugh at it. I think it's funny. It's a fun way to, to kind of have some interesting discourse before the season starts. But uh, other than that, no, I mean, like Jared Goff's not taking them anywhere. I think we know that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it'll be fun if they win, you know, the first game of the season or something like that, people will get excited and be, uh, be declaring victory, and then the rest of the season we'll just forget about whatever what actually ends up ends up happening there. Okay, so a, a bold take would definitely be the Lions making the playoffs. I'm sure someone has made that is one of their bold takes. But our bold takes today, and I discussed this with you beforehand, is what how we're going to look at it is not something that we think is going that you wouldn't bet even money that something is going to happen. But I I was I laid it out for you and said let's say you're betting at like plus one fifty, which is maybe a forty ish percent chance of this happening. So. If you thought it was a coin flip, that would be a good, bold prediction that you would think you had some like real positive expected value on it. Not one of these things where it's, you know, predicting the Lions to make the playoffs or predicting, you know, the Bucks to miss the playoffs or something that's just not going to happen under any realistic scenario. We prepared these 
bold takes along with some stats here. Uh, Josh, I'm going to let you go first, and then I and then we we do not know each other's bold takes, and we will critique them as we go along. And if actually, so, I'll ask also YouTube anyone who's watching currently, if you have any bold takes you want to throw in the old comments there, maybe I'll, I'll take a gander at those as we're going through. Also, all right. So my my first bold take regards Daniel Jones, and uh, I think right now. After three years, people are pretty convinced that he is one of the bottom of the barrel quarterbacks in the league, maybe 25th to 32nd, something like that. Um, I think he has a chance to be above average this year. Um, He's got a new head coach, and Dabble, over the course of his career as an OC in Tennessee, he was credited with an offense that like minimized the flaws of Ryan Tannehill. I think everyone kind of sees that. Um, And he did that by mashing easy buttons, like lots of motion, way, way over a league average over his tenure play action, way over his average, way over league average. Um, and there may be, and I'll, and I'll say this, there may be some evidence that those tactics are having a uh, diminishing effect on, on the other team. Now, I think coaches are, 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 are coaching up their linebackers not to bite on play action as much anymore. And, but I, I still think this deception is hugely beneficial to the quarterback, especially if it's coming from the offensive line and they're selling the run. And I think overloading the side of a field always makes the defense, uh, have to think more, and on every play, there's always some kind of either a physical or a mental breakdown somewhere. So I think all those things are still good. What is open is if it was actually Sean McDermott that was pushing for all this stuff because he's the sharp one and Dable was just kind of going along for the ride, or or if this was actually Dable's idea. And so I think that's something I'm interested to see. And I'm, I've talked to some people about this, and they're they're incredulous. They don't think Dable's actually the smart one here. So I'll, I'll, I'll put that caveat out there as well. But one thing that Dibble did do well above league average that I think will carry into the Giants is he will take have his quarterback take more snaps under center. And Jones's best year doing that was in 2021. Uh, he had the best raw QBR of his career under center. Um, it was still only around 50, so it wasn't great. But his off-target rate from under center was half the league average. It was a lower A dot, but he he was had 8.8 yards per attempt. And I think... You know, if Saquon's back, they're asking him to play within himself, make these short passes. I think what you can see is a serviceable NFL quarterback, slightly above average. And I think uh, that people will put the odds of that much lower than 45, 50%, whatever I think it might be. All right. You come with, come with the hotness here. Daniel Jones might not be awful this season. You, you wanted reasonable takes. <laughs> you wanted reasonable takes. I could go really hot. You wanted reasonable No, that's that's good. I like that. It's better than uh, Daniel Jones uh, MVP or, or something like that. Yeah, I am interested in Dable also because, you know, he's there. He was there from 2018 starting when um, when Josh Allen was first there. So he was there through through the whole Josh Allen experience. Um the ups, the downs, and then the ups. He wasn't smashing a lot of those easy buttons early on, and they started to move further and further in that direction. So maybe there's something to that. I mean, he has been around the block a few times before, before ever getting a head coaching job. I think the Browns interviewed him during the cycle, which ended up being uh, Freddie Kitchens probably ended up being being hired during that cycle. So not the greatest uh, going on there. Maybe it was, maybe it was actually the chemist Stefanski cycle, but the, they, he was in the contention for some jobs of interviewed and hadn't got it before. So I do wonder about his ability to translate. Like we just seem to think that he's going to translate everything from what they did in Buffalo, the success that we saw there, the unique, you know, not complete outlier jump, but a pretty far out there on the, on the edge, uh, on the tail of the curve type of jump for Josh Allen over to Daniel Jones. But 
I think the beauty of it with him coming in is like the bar is so low <laughs> for what they what they had in New York going in with the Jason Garrett, Joe Judge uh, experience before going in there. So for that reason, I think there can definitely be a be a jump there. And, you, you know, they are for everything around Daniel Jones and it's probably going to take a complete reboot, I think, of the Giants franchise here if this does not work out in this season, because everything they have around him, they have been building towards this, you know, this this rebuild for a few years, going all the way back to drafting Saquon Barkley in 2018. So because of that, then, you know, if this doesn't end up working out, they may have to start everything, everything over again. And they also have already invested a lot in offense and defense there. You just need the quarterback play in the passing game to be that much better this year. Yeah. I think I agree with all that. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Again, I, I could I, I could get you a, a hotter take than this, but I, I I definitely think even New York fans right now have completely given up on Daniel Jones. So here's a ray of hope for you. There we go. I'll, I'll take it. Okay, so again, this will be another quarterback. Maybe we're going to talk too much about quarterbacks in here, but my my bold prediction for quarterbacks, and I am I'm labeling this one. I'm gonna label this one. I'm gonna call it the the twilight of the elites here, and this is Brady and Rodgers. Neither one of them will finish as a top five quarterback this season in expected points added per play. So if you look at last season, Rodgers was number one during the regular season. He was number one the prior year uh, before having some middling years before that. Brady was kind of right on the cusp of the top five this season. His grading which was much better than his expected points added per play. But I get I think what I'm just betting on a few different things like there's a lot of different outs that can happen here. One is age. The fact that they're the the fact that Rodgers is up to 38 and Brady is now in now 45 years old. And I think the bigger thing, though, is both of their offensive lines are extremely fragile, at least in comparison to what they had dealt with before in the past. Rodgers has had a top 10 offensive line almost every single year that he's been in Green Bay from a pass blocking perspective, David Bakhtiari, we don't know what's going to happen with him coming back. Uh, Jenkins, we don't know what their second best offensive lineman is necessarily going to be back. So a lot of questions there. And then for Brady, the whole interior of the offensive line is new. We've seen the backup center now is gone down, has been carted off today. I saw earlier today. So that's another thing. Maybe they can bring someone in there. But that interior pressure and that offensive line falling apart and that fragility there, we saw what happened in the playoffs to Brady against the Rams and the pressure they're able to bring there. And I think both guys could be a little bit under siege. You combine that with the age, you combine that with moving around in the wide receiver core for some, for some of them, especially for Rogers, all those things I think could come together where we're really going to see an aging out of these guys out of the top five quarterbacks in the league, starting with this season. I buy that for Brady. Um, he had a, a down year uh, by his standards, or at least by the, the year before, um, and I think he was, a ah, I don't know if he was the main reason why they didn't win it all again, but, but in any event, age is certainly a fact. It has to, at some point be a, fact. we say it every year, but yeah. age, age has to be a factor with Brady at some point. I don't Rogers. I mean, his surrounding talent, as you mentioned, is poorer than it has been in, in years past, but, uh, I don't know. Dobbs seems like he seems like the next hall of famer. So, uh, the camp reports coming out of. Coming out of uh, Green Bay right now. That's a bad side. That's a bad (laughs) side for me. If you're hyping up your late, you know, your day three wide receiver as being a star, it's like, well, what's going on with the rest of the receivers? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, look, so I, I, I think, I think it's a, a tougher sell for me that Rogers won't be a top five. He, he has rebounded since the McCarthy years. And I, I just don't know. I don't see him dipping that far. Who, who replaces Rogers in the top five? That's what I was kind of struggling with while you were talking about it. I could see one guy out of those two dropping out of the top five, but both seems well, I had, I had seems like I, I think I would take the other side of that bet is what I'm saying. Okay, yeah, I mean, I had to make it a little bit spicy. I mean, if we're talking about the top five, right? So, I mean, you can go ahead and let me let me just look at the top five guys. And I said EPA per play, so I guess we'll go on that from last season. And this is including the playoffs. So Stafford and Rodgers were almost co-equal at number one. So Stafford would be a guy, I know there's this elbow issue sort of thing going on. I don't know what to think of that. All I know is that I've heard about elbow soreness before when it comes to quarterbacks, but I'm not sure I've ever seen it really have a major effect during an NFL season. So Stafford's second second year in the system. Allen Robinson's there. Everything else, I think that's that's fine. So he's there. Patrick Mahomes is always in the top five. Josh Allen was in the top five. Justin Herbert would be the other guy there. And then you need one more guy to sneak in there, whether it be Joe Burrow, whether it's going to be Dak Prescott, whether it'll be Lamar Jackson with the return of form. And even Kyler Murray, I think, has some possibility of getting up into that area if he doesn't no, no, suffer no, any injuries no. this year. Kyler already has gamer wrist, so he's out. It's not <laughs> happening. We'll see. He's got is it is there's there's a new hidden clause in his contract where where he has to uh he, he has to stay away from from the games a bit there. So that that's that's my prediction. Both of those guys will drop out at the top five. And I'll, I'll go ahead and roll into another one here. And maybe a lot of this is kind of on the negative side because I'm not sure there's probably more Packers fans than Vikings fans, but this is in a related take with the decline somewhat of Rodgers in his play, at least in his numbers, because of how the team is constructed around him. My take is going to be that the Vikings are going to finish the regular season. I, I was going to say they're going to win the division, but I'm going to say they're going to finish the regular season with as least as many wins as the Packers this year. So they are plus 265 to win the division. So it's, it's a little bit further out there, but if you look at the Bears and the Lions, they're basically 10 to 1 or further to, to have any chance of, of, of winning it this year. And th- th- another part of the Packers that I'm a little bit scared of, and I think a lot of the Packers enthusiasm or lack of concern with these issues they have is the fact that they have a top 10 schedule as far as having one of the t- 10 easiest schedules this year. But Minnesota has even an easier schedule as not the first place team there. But they are seen as having – according to these look ahead lines, the, f- the fifth best offense and the fourth best defense in the, the league going into the season. I do think they have a lot of pieces on defense. Jair Alexander returning, uh, you know, pretty deep up front. A lot of people are expecting Rashawn Gary to take a, to take a jump this, this year, another jump into, into stardom, but I'm always concerned about fragility there. And when I looked at their numbers for last year, on a success rate standpoint, they were only 20, they were 25th. They're really low last year, 12th in EPA per play because of the fact that they did so well creating turnovers on defense. So I just think there are a few different things that can go wrong there. And I know that we always think, well, they'll, they'll piece it together. They'll figure it out. They'll get this back together. But again, Rogers for a stretch of about five years was more like the 10th best quarterback in the NFL, as opposed to the first uh, number one quarterback overall. So I just think there's some chance of that coinciding with the defense not being as good as people think. And the Vikings, you know, on the positive side there, 
I still think it's a team that can compete. You always see midway through the season or even later the last few years when they're playing the Packers, the records would be much different because the Vikings seem to blow all these games early in the season. But the point spreads are not that different for these teams. They're not really viewed that differently. I think there's been a poor luck performance, poor luck that they've had for multiple seasons now, which has been attributed to, you know, Kirk's cousins or vibes or play style or something else, which may just also have a chance of flipping around this season for the Vikings. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about vibes in the Vikings. My vibe on the Vikings is not that they made any great moves to get better. And in fact, they've been very kind of measured and cautious in everything they've done recently. And so I don't know why you would be terribly bullish on them. So I guess for me, your take is more that if Rogers going to fall out of the top five and you don't have to sell me on defensive regression, that there's a chance that the that the Packers get caught. And sure, I mean, I buy I buy that narrative, but um, but I don't buy I don't buy the Vikings being good narrative. Like, I mean, like good, good. Like I just uh yeah yeah so i guess that's where i land i i like i i, I can see the path through the forest for your take on green bay less so with uh, minnesota okay but let, I, so, so here's the minnesota thing so again their power ranking according to these look ahead lines is about 15 so they're middle middle of the nfl yet if you look at teams where they're seen as being about 0.7 points better than an average team on a neutral field according to these these numbers um opinions may differ on that but if you look at teams that are within let's say a point in either direction of the, uh, from where Minnesota is, there seems to be more enthusiasm, at least potential enthusiasm really around those teams than there is for Minnesota. I mean, the Bengals are at 1.6 points. So they're within a point higher than the Colts, the Titans, the Cardinals, the Dolphins are lower. Uh, the Patriots are lower. Philadelphia is lower. Now Philadelphia has the easiest schedule in the NFL. So that's a big part of why people are excited about them making the playoffs. The Raiders are lower um and the saints are lower right after them too so i feel like people can kind of build better cases for all those different teams and minnesota is just continually hanging around as a team that's within a top 10 sort of striking distance at all times yet we've seen them fail to do that multiple seasons so then it's like oh it'll, ju- it'll just never happen then because because it hasn't happened the last few years yeah they just they don't put a thrill in my leg so i have uh Two good bold predictions and then one neg. So I'll, I'll go with another good one. So we'll kind of keep the, the happy part rolling. Now, this actually has an accompanying neg. So the it's the Javante Williams versus Gordon take going on right now. And I think Javante Williams is a popular pick uh, for a huge sophomore season, right? Or at least he was before Mel- yeah, Melvin Yeah, I think Gordon he's the, resigned. I don't know, 10th, 11th, 12th running back being selected right now. Yeah. Right, right. So, I mean, like, the upside is what's tantalizing, right? Um, running backs get injured. If Melvin is, is, is not performing early, then he might get a, a huge share of this, what is likely to be a pretty good offense in Denver. Um, but I think it's a coin flip between him and Gordon as who will be more valuable by the end of the season. And I think this is bold for the, the reasons I've already said, but like people love long, young legs. So they're going to overvalue that. Williams had a really nice game at the end of last season. Um, that got people super excited about him and his potential. And Denver did let Gordon test free agency. So, I mean, they didn't seem to be apparently, you know, too terribly upset uh, or scared that he might sign somewhere else. So those those two things uh, kind of, I think, have fed into the narrative of Javante Williams having a great season. But if you just dig into their numbers, I mean, on a per game basis, they were almost identical in a lot of ways. I mean, Melvin Gordon had more touchdowns. Um, and I think Javante was slightly better in 
in rushing. And certainly in EPA, he was he he, he uh, was better than uh, Gordon. But like in just fantasy points stuff, it, it was very very close. And Williams is the runner with more juice. I will I will acknowledge that. But even there, they had really similar max NGS speeds at the line of scrimmage, at handoff, things like that. In the passing game, uh, Gordon was better at getting yards before contact, so that could be that. Well, he's more elusive in the open field than we give him credit for still, maybe. Or perhaps more important to me is that defenses just don't expect him to be dumped off to in those situations when he's on the field. And we see this in the on-off splits. In the passing game, the uh, the Denver Broncos were much, much better with him on the field than they were with Williams on the field. And that could be just the case that Defenses were keying more on Williams. They were just more scared of him. And uh, so he became uh, more of something they had to, to account for, a weapon they had to account for. And for a team that wants to go deep with Russell Wilson, off play action, or check down, because true or not, Russ has this kind of, he has this reputation within the league that he's not that great at intermediate throws. So the idea is that he's going to go deep or he's going to dump it off. And I think if that is what actually happens in Denver this year, um, then I think the guy that stands most to gain is Melvin Gordon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I like this take. I, I'm getting a little bit lower on Williams as time is going on. It's one of those things where Williams was seen as being a co-equal to Najee Harris and Travis Etienne coming out. He was pretty much a co-equal. If we're talking about draft capital that they spent on him, I think it was two or three picks into the second round, 35th pick overall that he ended up going at. So that's a very high pick there. But as far as situation is concerned, a couple of things have gotten me down more. You mentioned Gordon not or testing, letting him test free agency. I read more so in, in current commentary and interviews with Gordon and other things, whether this is true or not, you never know 100%. But it seemed like it was more driven by him wanting to find some place where he may have a more of a lead back type of role if possible. I don't sure if that was really a possibility, but it sounds like it could have been driven a little bit more by that. And you're right. If you look at the numbers last year, I mean, Gordon averaged more fantasy points per game than Williams did last season. And he's one of those guys who can function in the passing game. Well, can function blocking. So there's not, really a path where he's the early down guy who just ends up getting phased out. He's kind of a, an overall sort of back too. So I think I agree with all of that. And I guess what I don't really know about Williams too, is that he's this tackle breaking sort of guy. And he had that huge game against the chiefs. The one game that Gordon missed this year, we had nine targets and six receptions for 76 yards and a touchdown, which was just monstrous workload receiving there. I think Russell Wilson, the most, receptions any running back has had with Russell Wilson is 37 receptions so he just doesn't throw it to the running backs that much he's a scramble take a sack or throw the ball down the field type of guy so I think all those things are probably setting up for some difficulty for Javante Williams this year along with Melvin Gordon maybe maybe he's good right I know we want to we want to kill these guys but former first round pick has been pretty productive his entire career and just before I move on, there's one other really interesting stat that is kind of borne out by what film watchers, film watchers I respect. Jay Moore on Twitter, go follow him. He's very, very sharp. Uh, but the stat is, if you rank all the players by how long they stand, uh, uh, how long each play on average they spend behind the line of scrimmage, uh, Javante Williams was second worst. 
in the league. Now, when I looked at this stat, I saw who was the worst and it was Nick Chubb. And I kind of went, eh, it probably doesn't mean much. But when you couple that with one of the critiques coming out that was brought to my attention, which was he had bad vision or he, when he was doing outside zone, he would just make a choice and just kind of barrel ahead. He wasn't, he wasn't agile and uh, didn't have an aptitude to actually change his path on the fly. If something wasn't going exactly right, he would just pick and go pick a hole and go. And, and if that's the case, and if he is have he has become indecisive in the backfield and that's kind of what's driving that number, then he still has a little ways to go before he's an all around back that you can rely on every down. So I thought that was a really interesting take. And uh, again, I am not a, a student of running backs um, and certainly not a student of film on running backs, but I thought that was an interesting. But one more thing on, on Williams, just real fast. So like he's had extraordinarily good grading for his, his run grade, especially in college at PFF, because he's this, he's a big, huge tackle breaker. And I think that, while breaking tackles seems to be one of the few running back stats that we can attribute to the running back more than necessarily the offensive line or the scheme or the the quarterback or the defense is being played against it. At the same time, there's a possibility it's overplayed as part of the grading because it's much harder to grade whether or not someone is you know choosing the right hole or other things that you just can't quite sense that are more of a uh, opaque as far as how they're able to be a better running back than someone else. Or sometimes when guys are just really, really fast and they just turn an open hole into a longer run, we wouldn't necessarily grade them for being better because of that, because they're running, because they're able to just run faster than someone else. But that's something that comes through to production. So it's possible that Williams could be overvalued in a system that really looks at broken tackles and says that is the number one thing that we're going to credit to running backs. It could end up overvaluing that in a way. Yeah, that's that's probably fair. And then I'll roll into my final one and then throw it to you. And this is my one major neg and it's and it's Trey Lance and national media is actually kind of on the same side. I am. There's a lot of people who are kind of questioning Trey Lance and and, and the decision making process that's gone into making him the unquestioned starter for San Francisco this year. And my my take is more on the side of his legs. And I think we talked about this last time I was on, but he's such an enigma with his arm and he has such up and down camp uh, reports about his actual ability to process. And he's so green that I, I, I really feel like this could easily be a lost season for San Francisco because I truly don't believe his legs are difference makers in the way that a lot of people had hoped when they drafted him so high in the first round. Like uh, so Running is something from the quarterback position and almost in anything in, in the NFL. If you're good enough to make the NFL, you have some instinctual ability when it comes to running the ball. It's elite. You know, obviously there's different levels of elite, but, you know, you're obviously very good at it when once you get there. And you can see it. Like, you could see it in Lamar. It was just super special immediately. You can see it, um, flashes of it with people like Allen. And, and and you know, when when he is able to outrun a uh, a linebacker and a defensive end and and then put his shoulder down and run through a cornerback and, and get the first down. And like those kind of things made you excited. You're like, well, look, if things go sideways, this is a guy who can get it done on third down, like the most important high pressure, high leverage downs. When you look at what Trey Lance did on third down last year, and it was abysmal and he just wasn't, he didn't, he looked kind of lost. He didn't look like a natural runner. He didn't look like he had um, uh, really great speed. Um, People are saying, well, now you're just you're comparing him to the best quarterback running ever. And like he's not Michael Vick. 
he's not Lamar Jackson. He's more like what? Devontae Culpepper? Like, I don't know. Like, who are we comparing him to now? They're saying he's, uh, you know, more of a more of a Cam Newton. Well, Cam was incredible right off the bat. Like, you just knew Cam was going to st- just roll right over you and, and do some up-the-middle shenanigans. Where Trey Lance was good, and, and when you knew he was coming, where Trey Lance is good is on first and second down, where you're not sure what's going to happen, breaks down, and he scrambles. And that's not sustainable at the quarterback position, especially when you're completely uncertain about what his arm really is. Yeah. Now it's, it's interesting because I have some, some negative uh, 49ers takes also uh, one of them around Trey, Trey Lance. So maybe I'll just pile some of these in so you can hear some, some of mine that, that go along with this. Um, I guess I only had one and I know actually you, you hate the Cardinals though, but my, my take was going to be that the Cardinals were going to have as many wins as the 49ers as the 49ers this year. And part, a lot of it is based on, this uncertainty at quarterback. So so there's two different things you have. You have uncertainty with Trey Lance at quarterback. You also have the assumption underneath, again, these these numbers that I'm looking at, the look-ahead betting lines, that the 49ers have the best defense in the NFL this year. Maybe they will, but um, it it can be difficult. So I think when it comes to Lance's, this this is the thing with Garoppolo. Yeah, Jimmy is Jimmy, and maybe you can't, rely upon him or Shanahan did not feel comfortable relying upon him when he needed to. Sometimes he throws some ugly interceptions. Uh, You're going to run more of a conservative run first offense with him in times where maybe you shouldn't be doing that because of that lack of, of confidence, but still, you know, the cold, hard numbers and facts, if you look from 2017, so the end of the season when he was there in San Francisco through the end of last year, you take everyone's, EPA per play. So what they're actually doing on the field, Jimmy is getting you in the top five for, for any quarterback during that era. So you could maybe say, Oh, well, he's getting his efficiency juice by the receivers and by Shanahan and by this and by that, but you still have to like hit that mark before you're actually getting improvement. And you gave up, you know, three draft picks, three first round picks in order to be able to to do that with Trey Lance. So I think that's the uncertainty combined with, Maybe it's going to take Lance a little bit longer as someone who basically did not play his final season, barely played in the COVID season, didn't play a whole lot before that season, FCS guy. And while, you know, Mahomes didn't play as a rookie other than week 17, which was a meaningless game, there was still buzz that he was looking good. People were very excited about him going into the next year as far as his passing is concerned. Um, They were getting uh, rid of... Yeah, go ahead. That, that, that was exactly this, the case with Lamar as well. Uh, they were just like completely all in uh, in Baltimore with him in 2019. Anyway, I'm just saying that that, that isn't the vibe you're getting from San Francisco this year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and what you're getting from San Francisco is, and again, you know, training camp. It's training camp, so you don't want to go too far. But you, what you're getting the vibe is, which I thought we would all expect, is that some of these off-script, down-the-field things are going well with Lance. And the thing that hasn't been hitting as well is the execution of these shorter, quicker passes. And I don't know. I mean, then you start to think, yeah, I don't know if Shanahan really wanted, um, you know, Mac Jones, but I, you can see how Shanahan, that's like the Shanahan thing. Maybe Shanahan and his value is going to be mitigated a bit by Lance being in there. You combine all those things together with the fact that the 49ers have basically been bad whenever Jimmy Garoppolo isn't there. And I think it at least could be an, uh, a disappointing season for, for San Francisco. And maybe it's more like a 20, 
23 thing for Lance to truly break out and for everything to come together. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably the most reasonable optimistic scenario. So that's the thing. I think you have to be wildly optimistic to be a Niner fan who thinks this year is going to go really, really well, in my opinion. Well, you know, that's the thing. I mean, what do you think about, though, how high they are seen as being this year? If you look at, like, conference conference championship, right, it's the Bucs. The Packers, again, easy schedule for the Packers. Rams, difficult schedule. 49ers are next. I guess the rest of the division, I mean, the rest of the conference is not very good. But still, they're all, they're within, you know, they're plus 750 to win the conference versus 550 for the Rams. So they're not that far off. Yeah, but I think a lot of that is, a lot of that is Shanahan love. And that Shanahan's going to make it work no matter what. That even if, even if Lance isn't that great with his arm, that he's still going to impact the, the running game in a way that makes something that Shanahan does so well, which is scheme up the run game, even more efficient. I think that's the hope. I think that's what people are betting on. And uh, I, I just, I think if you, if you view it from the way I do, which is that Lance is actually pretty average as a, as a running quarterback, he's not anything special in that regard. Then I think a lot of that luster comes off. And, uh, and you have to take a more somber view of their, of their uh, chances this year. Agreed. All right. You want to hit something else or do you want me to give you another one? Yeah, go for it. I'm done. Okay. How about, okay. So Sam Monson on the PFF NFL pod, his bold take was that the Bengals were not going to make the playoffs. I'd like to repeat that, but I was looking at it and the Bengals are actually plus 110 to miss the playoffs. Like it's not even that bold, <laughs> that bold of a take by, by the markets there. It might be bold in people's perception, but it's not even that bold in there. So that's one like I, I can register, but I'm probably actually higher than the markets are on the Bengals. So it's a weird one to make that my bold take because it's like I'm arguing against maybe <laughs> consensus football land, which saw them in the Super Bowl, but I'm actually not even arguing against the, the markets. Okay, so this is, this is a bold one. For second-year quarterbacks, I'm going to say that Davis Mills, Davis Mills is going to have a higher efficiency um, and grading than Justin Fields uh, this season oh. in, in 2022. So, so here's here's the rationale. I mean, I, 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 hold he, on a second. Hold, yeah. I just have to stop you right there. I just saw a clip of Darnell Mooney catch a ball with one hand on the sideline, <laughs> and I have to tell you, I think you're wrong. Anyway, well, let me, I saw I think I saw that same clip. I just thought it was funny because it was entitled like the fields to Mooney connection. And I'm thinking to myself, that's not a, that's not a, that's not something that's that's replicable going forward. And it's also funny that like the worst thing nowadays because of the bus of Nikhil, Harry, um, uh, JJR, think of Whiteside. And who's another uh, contested catch guy who's busted recently? Anyway, those two guys for sure are like the big ones who busted. Denzel Mims, maybe. Um, Galladay's because of that, set didn't transfer. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of that, everyone's like contested catches are the worst. Never draft a contested catch guy. It became his thing with Drake London this year. Yet we flip forward to training camp. And it's just like contested. If someone makes a contested catch, they are Randy Moss. Like it, it's it. You're putting their jackets on immediately for making contested catches. So that's another one of my like pet peeves about training camp is we've gone from saying these very fluky sort of plays should not be relied upon uh, as a prospect, but yet they're the most uh, uh, predictive thing in in training camp. But, but back to back to Mills versus Fields. Okay, so you already had better efficiency. 
grading was pretty similar. And I feel like if, if it wasn't Mills, but it was Fields in Houston or Lawrence in Houston or Zach Wilson in Houston, you'd be hearing all day long excuse city, apologensia, just all over the place for how Davis Mills played and, you know, sharing all these different clips where he had some good games. I mean, they stomped on the Patriots. They played well and, you know, they ended up beating the the Chargers in another game because of defense, because of how well they played. So he had some really high highs during that season. He showed some things during that season throwing the ball, but yet there's just not much hype associated with it. And the other thing I'll say for him and maybe, a sig- in a signaling fashion, it is kind of weird for a third round pick who comes in, who plays competently. They've been seeing a lot of them. They've obviously seen a lot of them in the off season that, and maybe they're not trying to win this year. I get it. They're not trying to do that well, but they already were, you know, this is multi years into a kind of a rebuild there with Deshaun Watson, not playing last year. The fact that there didn't seem to be any question about bringing someone in about drafting someone, they seem very committed to seeing what he can do. And I feel like that's a little bit of a behind the scenes sort of signal to say they really like him and think he has a legitimate shot this year. So maybe he shouldn't be viewed that differently than someone like Jalen hurts was going into last season. Yeah. I think in Houston, a lot of their perception going forward with Mills has a lot to do with how long of a suspension Watson gets. Um, I mean, cause the, the value of that pick they got is going to go up exponentially. If Watson misses the entire season, not exponentially, it'll go up quite a bit. And, yeah. and I think, and I think if they have a chance to take another high end quarter, you know, a quarterback high next year, I, I think that they're going to, they're going to treat Davis differently this year. I think than they would if, this was going to be a mid round to late round pick um, coming into 2023. So I, I, I think given the fact that we're pr- likely going to see at least a year suspension for Deshaun and perhaps more, which would be tremendous by the way. And uh, the more that the league signals that that might happen, I think uh, the better for the long-term health of the league. Um, then I think, I think Houston will, will not treat Davis as, as a quarterback that they want to prop up and, I don't know. Maybe they want to, maybe they want to juice his trade value. I don't know. Um, he, I think he's a great backup quarterback and I think that they should continue to, to take shots in the draft if they, they want to be a contender anytime soon. Okay. Yeah. I, I think you I think you're right. That'll probably end up happening. Maybe it's seen as a little bit early in their cycle. They seem to have, I don't know, the whole Easter bee, uh, you know, the, the Easter bunny, as you like to call them, seems to be solidified there. Uh, Cal McNair. So weird. Them. Loves the dude, so they might have a little bit more time than others. I guess I just see multi-year rebuilds and not even you know really trying to win is not something you see very often. But you know the, the head coach selection didn't exactly say we're picking our guy and we're you know roaring forward here. It seemed more like another interim year for for someone. Definitely a step up over. Well, uh, look Smith. at what's. Look at what Cesario's been doing. He, he has not been taking big swings. He's been nibbling around the edges, taking special teamers and f- backup linebackers and things like that. I mean, that's where he's... That's a Patriot way. Yeah, I mean, so he's trying to build a culture, right? He's trying to build with guys that are his guys, but he hasn't taken any swings that you can really put on him yet. And so I think he's got plenty of rope. Okay. Okay, this one, this is hot. This is coming in a little hot. Oh, here. here we go. Here we go. There's no way to really like measure this one uh, in the outcome, but what I will say is at the end of this season, there will be a legitimate discussion 
as to who is the best quarterback in the AFC East. Now, can you guess which two quarterbacks I'm saying will be in this legitimate discussion, Josh Hermsmeyer, for who is the best quarterback in the AFC East? No, I'm just going to let you tell me. I'm not going to walk into Okay, any, Josh uh... Allen's going to be one of them. Okay, okay. Uh, spoiler okay. alert. Josh okay. Allen not, not, does not turn into a pumpkin and go back to 2018, Josh Allen. But the other guy who's going to be in contention, in my opinion, is Mac Jones. So whether Mac Jones or Josh Allen are actually the best quarterback here, people are really low on the Patriots right now and pretty low on Jones. You just don't hear a lot about – Mac Jones. And I just want to present for you their regular season stats from last year. Now, I know Allen went nuclear in the playoffs. He, you know, he went superpower, just destroying the Patriots first and then doing about as well as humanly possible also against the Chiefs after that. So that raised his numbers quite substantially. But just on the regular season last year. Okay, so they're adjusted. If you adjust for taking away pick sixes and things like that. Uh, this is these are numbers that I'm taking from Ben Baldwin's uh, uh, running backs don't matter website here. So adjusted EPA per play. Allen was eighth in the NFL during the regular season at point one seven six. Jones was 10th at point one five four PFF passing grade during the regular season. Seventy seven point five for Allen. Seventy seven point four for Mac Jones. And their completion percentage uh, percentage over expectation, Jones was slightly better, 2.4% versus 2.1% for Allen. So we have stuff in there. Now, I'm being cute here, and I'm excluding what happened in the playoffs, which, you know, it happened. (laughs) So we can't say that it doesn't matter. But still, those types of numbers for Mac Jones, for a rookie, if again, if it was Trevor Lawrence who had done that, we would already be crowning him as like MVP favorite going into the, into the season. And I know maybe Jones doesn't have the ceiling as far as the athletic ability, but I just did this uh, podcast series on the greatest quarterbacks of all time going by statistical value added over their careers. And I know, you know, the game changes. Everyone's all about the athletic quarterbacks nowadays. But still, you go through the best of all time, and there have been athletic quarterbacks in, you know, throughout the history of the game. You go through the best of all time. Right near the top, or at the top, we have Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, Joe Montana. Uh, you look at these types of guys. Well, Joe Montana was, was, was very mobile. Well, I mean, Matt Jones is not completely immobile, I would say, also. But yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. He's not like a rocket arm or something like that that you would associate with the Josh Allen type of guy. So I just feel like we're not giving enough credit to the fact that he's a guy who could step forward with how he's playing. And yeah, he's not going to step forward as much as someone who can throw the ball 80 yards on a on a string or can rush the ball that well. But we're almost giving no credit to the fact that he was that good as a rookie. And we've seen people be that good as rookies. The outcomes are pretty good, you know, whether it's Matt Ryan is the immobile guy who was that good as a rookie who went on to be that good. And then other guys who have been a little bit more mobile, like Russell Wilson or Dak Prescott or Justin Herbert, guys who were good as rookies, like they weren't necessarily that much better or any better than Jones was last season. Yet we seem to just assume, oh, Mac Jones, it was the offense it was handing the ball off and he won't get better this year. I think he can get better this year. Yeah, I agree. And I remember I was on a few weeks ago, we did our, our QB rankings, like I had him 15th. And that was quite a bit more than consensus. Uh, but our your model agreed. And I think 
I I think we were in agreement for the same reasons, which was if you're that good as a rookie, you're probably going to make a step forward as a sophomore. And there's no reason to think that Bill Belichick has lost his ability to game plan around a reasonably talented quarterback. So uh, is, is Mac Jones as talented as Josh Allen? Absolutely not. Like that, but again, like people get so caught up and, and I think that you need to disentangle talent from scheme from all of this. And then at the end of the day, say who's going to be productive. And I think yeah, Mac yeah. Jones, it's kind Mac of this Jones focus going even to be the, productive. Even the training camp thing is like the focus on these big splash plays. Well, those aren't going to make necessarily the difference, the biggest difference when the season comes. I think the Josh McDaniels thing, I mean, it's something, right? McDaniels is going to be gone. He's not going to be around. But, you know, Brady was there for a pretty long time. He went through quite a few offensive coordinators. I know that he had McDaniels for, for a stretch there, obviously, at the end. But I, I'm I'm less of a coach's – coaching is really going to make the biggest difference, and it's not something you can replicate. Now, you know, if we're, if we're, if we're going as far as Matt Patricia and Joe Judge being your offensive coordinator, now we are pushing he's not, the limits. Though. He's not. He has not been <laughs> named offensive coordinator. So but they don't have he's one. Not. I, guess, I guess they don't name <laughs> defensive coordinators either. I mean, you have his, like, hillbilly-looking son in there calling defensive <laughs> plays and then these other guys. There is kind of a degaffing going on by Belichick, which I don't know what to, what to make of. But anyway, I, I'm, I'm going to bet Show some on. respect for the mullet, that guy, and, and the mouth. The mullet and the <laughs> mouth. Tremendous content every okay. single year. Yeah, he's very he has very memeable gifts uh, that, that are going. On. I'll give that to him. Okay, so let me give you. Actually, let's let's turn. We we got a couple here from that I want to see. I want to see from the audience that was going on here that I asked for that I think are interesting. Some of these are way too. Um, are, are way too, well. Let's see. Well, what about this one here? So this one goes on here. Bull takes Sam Howell will play more games than Carson Wentz. Now that probably goes too far into the bold the boldness for you, but what I want your take though, Josh, because I feel like Carson Wentz now, and you're seeing this, if you're doing fantasy drafts, you're seeing this for Terry McLaurin in particular, like he is starting to plummet what people think his production is going to be because of the negativity we're seeing about Carson Wentz. I'm discounting some of that at the same time. I kind of like Sam Howell. Like I liked a lot of these guys. Why not just take a shot on someone who after his sophomore season, Sam Howell's sophomore season. So two years ago, people were predicting him to potentially be the number one pick overall. Um, and then he had a down junior year and still ended up coming out. And, and we saw what happened. He's, he's another young guy. What do you think about Wentz? And do you have any like Howell sort of takes as to whether or not you think Wentz could actually be benched at some point? Well, I mean, if something goes wrong, I think it's going to be on in the locker room with Wentz. And that's, that goes back for years and years and years with him. And, you know, whether it's a fissure between him and the coaching or the players not liking the way he leads or his lack of leadership as the case may be, there could be a point in the season where he's just given the boot and they just look to the future. So I think that there's probably, it's probably isn't as bold a take as as, this isn't a 10% shot, right? I think it's, I think there's a higher probability than 10% for this one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. And again, I just don't understand teams that are just not like drafting guys like Sam Howell and, and whatever. I'm not big on Sam Howell who knows. Right. But you're just not letting him fall all the way to the fourth round where it doesn't seem like that should necessarily be happening. Oh my God. We have another one in here. Now this, this really falls into the, uh 
pass it. I want to see what you're smoking here. Jags will win the AFC South. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say no to that. But what about what about Trevor Lawrence? He's kind of the flip side of everything that I've been saying about Mills and um, and Mac Jones is that he's like the most popular guy for people to say this guy's going to make a leap in his second year. Like, oh, the number one overall pick and generational prospect may break out this year you know thanks for the in-depth analysis but what 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 do you think about the Jags and is there enough did you get enough of an uptick over just pure donkiness of Urban Meyer to get them in contention to win the AFC South well I think clearly it's Travis Etienne is going to lead them to the division title I think everyone sees that that has to be the case so uh you know couple that with you know, uh, a better coaching staff, perhaps. I mean, okay, it has to be better. It has to be better. Is it better in a meaningful way? That's kind of open to uh, to interpretation, or it's open to speculation currently. But I, I think I think that the this is a, a super hot take based on the betting markets. Like this is a ridiculously hot take, and I think this is a a sub ten percent take. So I, I would I would take the other side of uh, one man's odyssey. What about Titans versus Colts? Because that's one I can't quite figure out. People are always surprised by how much the Colts are favored. They're minus 135. Titans are plus 170. Yeah, the Jags are 8-1, to one, so they're not that far off. Um, oh, okay. So what so – what, I mean, it, it's not not close, though, obviously. Um, you have any, any takes versus the, the Colts versus the Titans? Because I think I really do believe in the Colts a lot this year. But Titans, you know, they feel like they're disrespected. They're disrespected, especially by the betting markets, which have them as the 13th best team, about equivalent to the Arizona Cardinals or the, the Minnesota Vikings here on the power rankings. On your power rankings, where do they have the Colts? Uh, the Colts are a little bit higher. So they're it's only 12th to 13th, but they're – like a point and a half better than a neutral than an average team on a neutral field versus 0.9 points. So it's kind of a different tier. It's like the end of one tier. They're almost equivalent to the Bengals, the Colts, and then the Titans start the next tier. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's too close. These are, these are, these are just too close for me to have a a strong opinion on, to be honest. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to force one here. All right. Well, you know, I'll force one Colts. I'm I'm saying Colts up. Titans, Titans down on this one, but we'll see. I, I am all about Traylon Burks this year, so I'm going to be very interested to see what, what happens there. All right, everybody, thanks for tuning in. Josh, thanks for joining me. Follow Josh on Twitter, at Frisco Josh. Uh, where are you now in the preparation cycle for the, the season? Are you going to be preseason watching that much, or are you going to let it wash over you until we actually get into the regular season? Uh, I'm, I'm going to watch some preseason, uh, but probably just the third game uh... – as usual, and, uh, and and then just follow the news for the rest. But working on uh, a season preview coming out just before the season starts for 5:38. So check that out there. And uh, also, when uh, when the second week of the season hits, the buy low model will be on PFF. Can't wait for that. Oh yeah, yeah. We have Josh's buy low model for air yards. Air yards influenced, I guess. The man who popularized air yards is bringing it to PFF, and that will be a welcome addition and a great thing to pay attention to this year. Thank you so much, Josh, for joining me. Everyone, for listening, go ahead, rate, review the pod, and otherwise, I'll be talking at everyone on Monday. All right, thanks so much, guys.